Well, good morning and welcome to Big Valley Grace. It's a delight to be with you this morning. If you're visiting us for the first time, I am not Rick Countryman. I'm Lonnie Skiles and oversee our small group ministries at Big Valley. And it would be our hope that everyone would be somehow connected to the body of Christ in a small group relationship and fellowship, studying the word and encouraging one another in the word. Well, we had a wonderful week last week. Thank you for your invitations of your friends uh, we saw some tremendous things happening this last week. Um, we had over 50-some visitors, first-time visitors last week, and uh, around 35 people indicated their desire to want to follow Christ with their life. Isn't that something? <clears throat> you know, we, we have those, those uh, special kind of events like that for those purposes, that people might be uh, attracted to come, that you would be eager to invite your friends and that in that presence of Christ and the body of Christ together, that they would be drawn near to him. And, and we're just really grateful for God's uh, good, good work. Uh, I want to say, too, thank you in behalf of your giving. Uh, we just took an offering here just a moment ago. And uh, our church back in Pennsylvania was, was one of the beneficiaries of your generous giving uh, a few years ago. Uh, we opened up the mail and was surprised one day. I had no clue that that uh, such a gift is going to be given by Big Valley Grace Community Church. But um, we, in fact, uh, your gifts helped us to have our first youth intern. We were able to install a sound system in our fellowship hall, which was desperately needed, and you helped us to build a youth activities center. So but all of those things were from your generous giving. So thank you so much for giving here today. It's our, in fact, it was my wife and I's delight to be able to give and participate, knowing that maybe our gifts would be able to help someone else in a similar way in a small church. Sometimes it's a tough road to hoe. And, uh, you know, as our church was growing and people were beginning to give, it helped us get a good jump start on a number of things. So thank you so much for your gifts. Well, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I hope you had a wonderful time with your family. But Christmas isn't always a wonderful time. And this last week, we, uh, our community was hit pretty hard by uh, several things. But for those of you who have been a part of Big Valley Grace for many years, you'll remember Tom Mello. He was one of our executive pastors. Uh, this Christmas Day, uh, just last week, um, he went home to be with the Lord. And uh, he wasn't, uh, I don't think that's what he thought was going to happen that day. And yet it was his time for the Lord to say, Tom, your appointment is up. It's time for you to come home. In a moment, we're going to be praying for his wife, Esther. And, he can, and maybe some of you have been down that road before, the sudden loss of a dear loved one. Uh, it's one thing, you know, some have the opportunities to be able to say goodbye. And their loved one has been lingering and suffering. And you have opportunity to have those kind of conversations. But not everyone has those kind of conversations. And those are tremendously um, sorrowful times, empty times, wishing that you had one more conversation. And so if you want to write Esther's name down, we want to pray for her in just a moment. But then there was another young man that was tragically, a life was taken just a few days ago named Ronell Singh. And uh, I do not personally know Ronell, but he was an officer in our community in Newman. And he left behind a young wife named uh, Anamika and a little boy five months old. And I know you're aware of it. You've seen it in the paper. It's on national news. I had the privilege of being a chaplain for two police departments. And I know back in Pennsylvania today, they're talking about Rennell. Even though they, it's, they have no idea that uh, our church might even be connected to this family. Uh, he actually lives in the same subdivision as Pastor Rick. And Pastor Rick has been over, is ministering to that family. He drives by his house every single day. 
and not real closely acquainted, but we're reaching out as a church and trying to minister to this family. Uh, he has a strong family connections, but it's a very, very difficult time for Anamika, and the days ahead look very dark and empty to her, and so we want to pray for them today. And if So I'm going to invite you, if you are able, you don't need to, but if you are able, would you mind just getting on your knees, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. We want to pray for this family, the Singh family, as well as for the Mello family, and uh, what they're going through here today. So join me as we pray. Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness and your kindness. And Lord, there's things like these that just do not make any sense. We don't fully understand, Lord, why things like this happen and, and uh, why evil abounds in many instances. And I think of uh, Tom Mello. Lord, I'm so grateful for the example that he was to me of a man who loved you with all of his heart. A man, Lord, who saw his life in, in, a, in a small measure, meaning that he knew he had limited time and he invested himself in young men and through big brothers. He was such a generous man. I thank you, Lord, for his story and would pray that you would bless his family today. Think of Tommy and Leah who are grieving the loss of their father. Think of Esther, Lord, the loss of her husband, the emptiness that's in her heart here today. Pray, Lord, that you would comfort her in her grief and her sorrow. And Lord, out of this sadness that great things would be accomplished, only wish that you can do. And I pray for Anamika today and her little boy. And uh, Lord, I haven't been through this, this darkness before, but I can imagine how each day that comes, the expectation that Rennell is going to walk through the door, that it's just a bad dream. And as the day progresses, realizing it's not a dream at all, it's reality. And I pray, Lord, you would comfort her. Lord, that you bring blessing upon her life. I thank you for the strong family relationships that are around her, but Lord, I know it's not the same as being held by her husband and seeing his face again. And so, Lord, again, in this deep grief, in these dark moments, Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy would abound to this family. And Lord, none of these things happen without some kind of purpose or instance. Lord, you have a story that you are writing. And I pray, Lord, the devil would not get the victory here that he'd be soundly defeated. Uh, Lord, that your grace would abound, that justice would abound, that righteousness would abound. And I think of the other officers in our community and what this means to the wives, Lord, today, who've kissed their husbands goodbye as they went on duty today, wondering if they're gonna see their husband again. And so, Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would be a people, that, Lord, would love one another deeply, that we would be a family to those who have little family that we'd be a blessing to our officers in our community who serve, Lord, and protect today. We pray for your protection upon their lives, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. And I invite you all to have a Bible. I know there's some tremendous technology available through iPhones and iPads and whatnot. And those certainly have great uh, uses. But boy, I encourage you, don't let that replace having your own Bible. And grab a Bible, use it, write in it. Uh, I shared with you before that it sure helps Gordon and myself and others do your funeral. When we can open your Bible, we can see all the notes that you have in it. <laughs> so um, don't, don't treat this book so sacredly that you dare not write in it. You write in it, you highlight it, you take your notes in it, and uh, let that word just continue to seek, uh, perk into uh, your life. Uh, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 in just a moment. Uh, there is some verses that are on the sheet. And for those of you that are in the venue, in the cafe, I encourage you to participate as well as we study and look at God's Word. Now, if you did not happen to make it this last week, Rick gave a wonderful illustration using this rope. 
And for those of you that weren't here, this rope is an illustration of our life. And this red end is where we are at today. The white represents eternity that's ahead of us. And what Rick was sharing, and it's so significant, you know, <clears throat> you know, I just turned 66 this last year. And I like to think that maybe I'm in here somewhere, <laughs> but I might be right over there. <laughs> we don't know, do we? You know, uh, Tom Mello probably thought he was in here somewhere, but he was right here on the edge on Christmas Day. Uh, Ron, Ronell probably thought he was over here somewhere. Life was just sweet, a little baby boy and great career, and, but he was right there. Didn't realize how close that he was. And we all presume a lot of things, folks. You know, we know these things are, are to be true. And what we're going to read about, and why I'm starting with this, is as we read Philippians chapter 3, I want you to be thinking about this rope. Because Paul was. He was in prison when he wrote. And he didn't know exactly where he was. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, guys. He's writing some dear friends in, in Philippi. He says, but here's, here's what I know. For me, it's all about living for Christ. But if I die, if, this, if I'm at the end of my rope, that's okay, because I'm going to be right over here. And woe to any of us who live only for this moment and are not giving consideration to eternity that awaits all of us. So Jesus said he is the fool who does not take this into consideration. And Rick's illustration last week was so pertinent to where we're at even today. And as Paul would talk to us today, he would say, folks, here's where I want you to be here today. And he's going to give us two things that we're going to look at in just a little bit as we anticipate this. So as we look at Philippians chapter 3, I want you to be thinking about this rope. I want you to be thinking about even your own lives. Personally, this end of the season is one of my favorites. I, I, re I really do, even as a pastor. I looked forward to the last Sunday because it's an opportunity to look back and to see all the good that the Lord has done in our life, all the journeys that we have been on, even, even some of the difficulties that we have faced as a family, to look back and to see how God has worked and how he has led and how he has blessed. But then also to look ahead and say, Lord, I don't know what's in store for tomorrow. We really don't, right? We have no really control over tomorrow. We think we might by setting goals and making plans. But we know that all those things are in the Lord's hands. In fact, his word even says that uh, the one who builds his house, if the Lord's not building it, uh, building it with them, they build it in vain. If the ones who are guarding the city, if God, the Lord's not guarding it, they guard it in vain. And so I know that as I look ahead and as I lay plans, thinking that I have a lot of time ahead of it and I, I want my life to count for Christ, I know that maybe my time is much shorter. So I don't, I don't worry about it, but I go ahead and make plans, trusting in the Lord for him to develop whatever he wants, but looking back with great thankfulness. And that's what we're going to look at here in, in, as we look at Philippians chapter chapter 3. So read along with me as I look at Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, and we're going to go through chapter 4, verse 1. So Paul says, not that I have already obtained all of this, and that this is referring back up to verses 7 through 10. And what he talks about is that when he looks back at his life, he considers all of his accomplishments in his life, and he had some very significant things, as well as some deep regrets. And he says, I consider all of those things rubbish that I might know Christ. And when you look at it, so what, and when we talk about knowing Christ, I want to know him intimately. I want to know him like he's my best friend. I want to know his favorite colors. I want to know, what, I want to know everything there is to know about Jesus. And so he says, but I haven't obtained all of this. I'm not there yet. Or have already been made perfect. I have a long ways to go, Paul says. You would think that Paul at this point in his writing was pretty mature in Christ. He had it all together. 
Uh, many of you are here. You've been a Christian longer than I even have been alive. Uh, you trusted in Christ as a young person. There's no point in our life story where we should say, you know what, I've, I've achieved. Uh, I, I don't need to know anymore about Jesus. Uh, I don't, I've learned everything I can out of the word. Paul says that we never get there. And he says even himself, he says, I have, uh, even though uh, I haven't been made perfect, but here's what I do. Look at verse 12. Here's what I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet. I still have a long ways to go. But here's one thing that I do. I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 15, all of us who are mature in Christ should have take such a view of these things. And so what he's saying is if you don't see the, your life in this way, the Lord's going to help you to see it. Because this is how all of us should see our life today. We all should see ourselves looking ahead, standing firm in Christ, pressing on to what he has in store for us. That, is, that, that, that should be the common view amongst us who are in Christ today. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And so look at verse 17. So join with others in following my example, brothers. And parents and grandparents, take a look at this. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we, give, we gave you. We're going to talk about the examples that are before us and how important it is for us to have inspirational figures in our life that help us to, to know how to hold on to Christ through the difficulties. And, and the Lord, in his wonderful way, has brought us together as a community of Christ so that we might be encouragements to each other. And sadly, though, our kids are growing up with inspirational figures that Paul's going to talk about here in just a moment. How sad it is that so many of our young men and young women are aspiring to follow after people that Paul says... Look at verse 18, they're enemies of the cross. For as I have often told you before, and here he is in jail, and I now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, you don't want to be in that category. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. And their mind is on earthly things. Why in the world? Would you want to have anyone in your life who's an inspirational figure, whose God is their stomach, who's an enemy of the cross, whose glory is in their shame? And yet so many of our Christian young men and women they absolutely do. They, they hardly know anything about the characters of Scripture or the great folks that have gone ahead of us. But boy, they know everything about the most current American idol or whatever it is, and they want to be just like them. They want to have the same fame, the same fortune, and I don't, I'm not real into pop culture today. I don't know who the names are to even mention them today. But I know they're out there. And it's just a shame that so many of our young people, and maybe even ourselves, aspire and wish for the things that we see in People magazine and other things like this. Uh, shame on us. So look what Paul says. Here's, here's what we should be like. He says, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. That's where our home is. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, and I love this one, and who by the power that enables him to bring everything under control will transform our lowly, overweight bodies <laughs> so they'll be like his glorious body. 
Folks, there's going to be a wonderful day of transformation that's going to come that we should be looking forward to. And so Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, I always like the word therefore, since this is true, since it's true that our Savior is going to come, since it's true that there's going to be this wonderful transformation, here's how we ought to be. On the last day of the year, looking ahead to 2019, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Great verse, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word here today. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that you've shown in our life. Thank you for the hope that we have. I'm so grateful, Lord, that this world is not my home. I'm grateful that we're just passing through. I'm grateful that the success of my life is not measured by how big the barns I have or how many acres of almonds that I farm. But, Lord, is measured in the treasures that are laid up in heaven and the days that I live for you. And, Lord, I do look forward to that day when I see you face to face, when I cross the finish line, run into your arms, and hear you say, welcome home. And so, Lord, as you, as you would speak to us here today, uh, all of us, Lord, from all, with all these different stories, Lord, that you would help us to be individuals that would stand firm, pressing forward, not in a static position, moving forward, eager for what you have in store for us. So we bless you and we thank you and look forward to, Lord, what you'll do in our lives even here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So inside your program you received this morning are some study sheets with some blanks. I encourage you to get those out and to fill out. You'll see them coming up on the screen. The intent of this study sheet is not for me. It's for you to go back. And actually, it's the other verses that I would hope that you would read, that you would take time. Because we're not going to be able to, I'm going to reference them, but we're not going to be able to turn to them. Uh, we'll look at a few others in Philippians chapter 3. But those other verses that are there in Jeremiah and Psalms and, and, uh, and Isaiah and other places that are mentioned are, look at them. Uh, be familiar with your Bible. Learn how to find them in the privacy of your home so you can be able to share them with others. So let's look at what Paul has to say. There's two things as we face this year, at the end of this year, and as we look ahead, Paul, if he were here today, as he did in almost every letter, when you look at Colossians and, and Thessalonians and Ephesians, he'll use the same phraseology as he's using here today. There'd be two things that he would challenge us today. The first one is found in chapter 4, verse 1. He would encourage every one of us to stand firm. He would encourage every one of us to be rock solid in Christ. That's what the word means. And the picture of it is like one of the giant sequoias whose roots grow down deep and is able to weather any kind of storm or fire or anything that would rage around us. It would be Paul's desire that every single one of us, knowing that storms are coming, would stand firm in Christ. But standing firm is not a static position. Standing firm doesn't mean that I'm here and I don't move. And so he says the second aspect of it is not only does he want us to stand firm in Christ, to be unshakable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, but we're also pressing on. Uh, we, we are reaching out, we are striving, we are pressing on toward the goal. Just like the athletes that you see or any of you who have ever done a marathon, when you can see the rope at the end, when you see that tape at the end, you see the crowd that's ahead of you, you don't stop running. In fact, you'll run even faster with all the rest of the strength that you have left, pressing on to cross that finish line. I'm not much of a runner, but my wife is. And she's run a number of marathons, not marathons, little 5K things that we've done. And I always watch her. And I know there's times where on that 5K, it was tough and it was challenging. But as she would come up the road, she would do everything she could to sprint across that finish line. That's what Paul is saying. 
is that not only do I want to stand firm, but I want to sprint. I want to sprint. And what he was looking forward to was more than crossing the line. And for those of you who've done the 5Ks, I know what you're looking forward to. At the end, you get your T-shirt. You get that medal that goes around your neck or whatever else, you know, benefits that are there. You, you run for the benefits of crossing the line. You run to, for the cheering of the crowd that have gone on before you and have crossed and are urging to keep pressing on, pressing on, pressing on. Come on, it's almost there. It's almost there. Keep on going. That's what Paul is saying that we do. We press on. And what we press on for is for the prize that Jesus has for us. It's not just crossing line. It's to, it's to be able to stand in judgment and, and, and not in shame, but to have him put the rewards around our neck, the crowns on our head, for he, to feel his embrace and for him to say, welcome home. Let me show you. I told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, <coughs> I'm going to come again and receive it of myself so that where I am, that's where you're going to be also. I want to show you what's been cooking uh, I got a great dinner planned for you. It's been on slow cook for a long time. We're going to have this great dinner, and I'm going to show you these mansions prepared, and I'm so glad you're home. I know it's been a long journey, but it's going to be a great time. And so Paul's going to encourage us two things, and we stand firm and press on. So I ask a couple questions when I look at scriptures like this, is how then are we able to stand firm? What are the key ingredients that will help us to stand rock solid in Christ. And then these folks, folks, these things are just essential. The first thing, folks, is you know you need to know whom you believe in. We're not talking about a head knowledge. We're talking about an intimate relationship with Christ. That you would know that, that he is a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. That you have confidence in knowing that he'll never leave you, he'll never desert you. Yeah, that, that in the moment of even trial that the Lord is near, even though it may not seem to be. That you would know him intimately. Know the one that you have believed in. And then secondly, how are we able to stand? It's by having total confidence that he is able to do all that he says he is able to do. I love the passage in Hebrews 11, um, verse six. He says, if we really wanna be a God pleaser, if we want to be one who pleases God, and don't you want to be one that pleases God? It says, for he who comes to God must first believe two things. One, that he is God. That he is all that he says he is. That he's the God of the Old Testament, New Testament, he's the God of today. And he hasn't changed. He's the unchangeable one. He's the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Almighty Father, the Everlasting Father. Uh, the one full of loving kindness. He's all of that. And so to, be a God, to please God, we must come to him knowing that he is all that he is, all that he says he is. And he hasn't changed from all the way back in the Old Testament to the New Testament. He hasn't changed. He's the same God today. But I love the second part of Hebrews eleven six. 6. It said, he who comes to, come to him must not only believe that he is God, but that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Why in the world would you follow Christ if you didn't believe that? And if you did believe it, if you really did believe that he will fulfill his promises in your life, that he will be your provider and protector, man, why wouldn't you live boldly for him? Right? And I, I think one of the things that hinders us is we don't really believe that he's going to reward us. We don't really believe that he's walking with us. We don't really believe that what he has in store for us is really better than what we have here today. And so we doubt in fact, if we would read on through Hebrews chapter 12, he says, throw off of the sin that hinders us. The thing that hinders us is our unbelief. Is throw it off. 
Trust in him. Walk with him. And so only, <coughs> excuse me, the way that we stand firm is not only by knowing him, but having total confidence that he's able to, in fact, Paul says, that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. I have full confidence that as I run this race with Christ, that even as I am being beaten, I know that all these things are momentary afflictions. They're producing for me a great weight of glory that I can't wait until I see him face to face. Thirdly, I think it's also by taking note and following others' example. Look at verse 17. I'm going to come back to this. It says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. It has been wonderfully helpful in my life to have read stories and to have known people that have helped me along this road. People who've gone on before me, people who are here now, joined the Lord. One of them is my grandfather. But all those people were inspirational figures in my life, helping me to stand firm. Because if they could stand firm, if they could face the trials that they faced, and I know some of them were really difficult trials, struggles I have yet to even taste. But as I watched them and watched them to trust in the Lord and cling to him and followed him all the way to the end, gave me ability to be able to say, Lord, I, I want to do that too. Now, <clears throat> folks, that's when Paul says that we have that we note their example of faith. That's what we're to follow. It's how they trust the Lord in those difficult times. We have some great resources in the nook that I hope you would take advantage of. But folks, we need to know the stories of our past. It is so important even for our young people to know that as we exist here today, that there have been others who have faced extraordinary afflictions and have run the race well. And they're part of the cloud of witnesses that are watching us even today. Some of you have children and grandchildren that are athletes. They need to know the story of Eric Little. He was one of the fastest runners in the 1924 Olympics. He was a Scotsman. And he was slated to win the gold medal in his event. Except on that particular day, the event was gonna be held on a Sunday. And he had made a commitment to the Lord that Sunday was going to be his day. And he forgo that, and he forwent that medal, said, I'm not going to run. He had all sorts of pressure to run from the Olympic Committee. They thought that his, this was nuts, that he could go to church anytime. He doesn't need to go. Why, why this day? He says, no, this. In fact, on the day of his event, he was out preaching the gospel. Great story. Your kids need to know that story. You ought to get chariots of fire and let them be aware of it. They need to know the story of C.T. Studd. Uh, he was a wealthy man, came from a wealthy family, was, was slated to be a star athlete in England as a cricket player. He was going to make big bucks. He gave it all away to be a missionary. Uh, they ought to know the story of Casey Bernal. You know who she was? She was a high school girl that was shot and killed in Colorado in one of the mass shootings. The gunman knew who she was. The gunman knew of her claim to Christ, went up to her and asked her, are you still loving Jesus? And she said, absolutely. And she took a bullet for the Lord. Those, those stories inspired me as a young man. Those stories helped me to run the race. I remember reading stories as a teenager of other teenagers that were a little older than me who were making strong decisions to be different than their peers, to not drink and not to go to dances and other things that at those days were pretty significant and to say, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I wanna be like that. I, I wanna stand for Christ no matter where I'm at. Not that I was at all perfect, 
But boy, those help me to be able to stand firm in my relationship. So let me be encouragement to you as grandparents and, and parents that, that you help your children discover these stories. I could, I could spend the rest of the time telling you story after story after story from Fox's Book of Martyrs and other things that were helpful to me. So how do we stand firm? By knowing, by having confidence in Christ, by taking note of others' examples. But how do we press on? And this is huge. Look at verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says, I pray on, <clears throat> brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but here's the one thing I do. What does he say? I forget what is behind, and I strain toward what is ahead. That forgetting, Paul is referencing, is not amnesia. And I think the Lord in his grace doesn't give us amnesia to some of those past events. But what but Paul is referring, though, as he looks back at his past, He's beginning to see those stories differently than what he once did. He begins realizing that they weren't as, in fact, there was one point in his life that he thought that he was righteous because of all those things. He begins recognizing that, no, those things are nothing but rubbish. But folks, it's so important that as we, as we press on, that we do not look back, that we keep looking forward. This passage has been a great encouragement to me and even in my failures to know that if I keep looking back, I get stuck. But if I recognize of God's promises and his faithfulness in my life, I can keep looking forward. I can keep pressing on. That's exactly what Paul was saying here in this passage. And so how do we press on? Not only do we forget what is behind, but we need to keep our eyes on the goal to win the prize. That's what Paul is doing here. I can't keep looking back. I keep looking forward to the prize, not just finishing line. I look forward to the gifts that God has for me. I look forward to seeing them face to face. In fact, the prize for Paul and for each one of us is to be found in his image. In Romans 8, 29, you write it down, you look at it later. The reason he saved you and the reason that he saved me is to make us like him. And before Christ came to us, you and I, we were just, we were, we were an old jalopy out behind some farmer's field with weeds all around it and rust all over it. And Jesus comes around and he looks at that, that old, old car that's all rusted up and says, oh, I can do something really good with that one. Boy, if I could just have a chance at that, I can make that car look better than new. And that's what he did for each one of us. And so I want to come back to this issue of forgetting. So how do we deal with our past? What do we do with our past? And I would suggest there's three things that we need to do. One is that we need to reflect and to see our lives from God's perspective. I like the verse in Psalm 119.73. It says that he has formed me with his hands. So the Lord has been writing a story of your life. Your birth was not an accident. Your existence here today is by God's grace. He has brought us here today. And, what he, and the, the thing that will make a difference is if we begin looking at our past from God's perspective. We begin to see his work. In fact, Paul says in all things, I should give thanks. So I look back and I can say, God, how faithful you were. How merciful you were. Uh, how, how you protected me. And then you're able to take this great event and Lord, you're able to do something new. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter one that, that in this discomfort, as I have been comforted and as I have found hope, as I have found power and as I have found freedom, I can share that with someone else. And I've seen that happen again and again and again. For my wife and I, <clears throat> we've not had the experience of a child uh, dying and having to bury a child. But some of you have, 
And I know in that experience, as you have come through it, and as you have seen God being faithful, you can help a grieving mother today. Some of you have been through some very difficult situations in your marriage, and as God has been faithful, he can take you to a place where you can be a help to others and say, honey, oh, let me just tell you, I know those first two years your marriage are good, but let me tell you how God was so faithful in our marriage and how he has sustained us. In the darkest of moments, God brought freshness and newness into our life. The second thing on how, what do we deal with our past is that we need to focus on his promises. We have a little book that's in the nook. It's called Bible Promises for You. And did you know that there's over 4,000, 4,700 promises of scripture that are for you and for me throughout the Bible? Now, they're not all here in this little book, but boy, there's a whole bunch of them, and they're all indexed according to topic. This is a great resource if you don't know the Bible very well. But I have found wonderful help in focusing on the promises of God. Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants us to believe a lie. He wants to believe a lie that God's promises aren't true. That he really won't always be there for us. That he, that he will desert us. That he won't answer prayer. That he doesn't listen. He doesn't care. All those are lies from the enemy. And I love his word right here. Where I can go to those passages of scripture. And I love Hebrews eleven six. Hebrews 11, 5 says, I'll never leave you, I'll never desert you. But Hebrews eleven six 6, it says, that the Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. If the Lord is for me, who could ever be against me? Folks, those things are rock solid truth. And we need to know what those promises are because that is really what helps us deal with our past, knowing that I, I'm never too far and then his mercies are new every morning. His loving kindness is everlasting. Helps me to see my past as God sees it. And then lastly, what do we do with our past? I want to encourage you. This is, we've done this as a family where we create our own psalms. And I like Psalm 136. Is what's unique about that psalm when you look at it, and I don't know how many verses there are. It's like 30 verses in it. it it's really redundant because in every phrase, you know what shows up after every phrase? Our God is a great God. He's above all gods. His loving kindness is everlasting. And he delivered us from Egypt. His loving kindness is everlasting. And he did this. His loving kindness is everlasting. So just imagine if you wrote your psalm and you picked up off of Psalm 136. You take the first two verses as your beginning and go back and reflect on God's good provision in your life. And after every little thought, after every little remembrance, you just write, and his loving kindness is everlasting. I remember a time where, boy, things were really challenging us for financially and that God provided in an extraordinary way. And we recount that in our stories and we say his loving kindness is everlasting. Uh, we pass, we've, we've passed through cancer. His loving kindness is everlasting. He's led us from one place to the next. His loving kindness is everlasting. Write your own Psalms. Now when I give messages, I, I, I choose some artwork. And I don't know if you recognize what you see up here, but this is significant. This is called Kintsugi Pottery. And it, and it was, uh, it, and it, it started showing up in the 15th century. There was a Japanese emperor who had a favorite teacup that he broke and he wanted it repaired and he sent it out to China and it came back and it looked horrible. And he said, we can do better than that. It's probably what the Japanese do, right? We can do better than that. And so he gave it to one of his artisans and said, can you repair this thing? And one of his artisans began to think what this piece might look like if he repaired it with gold. And Kintsugi pottery puts pottery back together again after it's broken, and they put it back together with silver or gold or platinum. 
And you notice, what do you, what do you see? That that peace becomes more beautiful after having been broken and mended than it was before it was ever broken. And so you know what this is called? It's called the pottery of precious scars. Boy, do you see the lessons that are there? Now, if you gave me that pot, that gray pot right there, and said, Lonnie, can you put this back together again? You know what it's gonna look like if I handle it? Because <laughs> we got a lot of Elmer's glue. <laughs> and we got a lot of scotch tape, and that's about as good as it's gonna get. But when you give that broken piece that others would say, why don't you just throw it away? And you put it into the hands of an artist, a master artist, look what you get. Isn't that gorgeous? What, what a master can do when it's given to him? Because some would have just thrown it away. And Jesus says, no, give it to me. He said, but well, Lord, it's too, it's too broken. No, it's not. But, but there's, there's too many little pieces. That's okay. I'll fill it with gold. Because every one of those little pieces is a story of your life. And in fact, if you had one of those bowls, you could say that, that, that big break right there, oh boy, let me tell you about that disappointment and how God put it back together again. See that little thing? In fact, I, I love the verse in Psalms that he says he records every single tear that you and I have ever shed. They're written down in a book, kept. In fact, and then when you read that passage, you go to Revelation 21, what's the very first thing he's gonna do? He's gonna wipe away every tear. And the picture I have in my mind is that he's kept my tears in a tear bottle and he puts this one up by my cheek and says, that's it, Lonnie, that's the last one. And he puts a stop on it and there won't be any more of these for all of eternity. But isn't that cool? And what I marvel at is how the Lord puts his stamp in every culture, a stamp of his grace and his mercy. And if you were to look at this up and Google it later on today and read the story, even apart from the not knowing Christ, it's a story of Christ. It's a story of his grace and his mercy and what he can do with our broken lives, making them better than we could ever, ever do by ourselves. So what? So here's the last questions that I have here today. <clears throat> Where do you go to meet with the Lord? Because when we talk about standing firm and when, and when we talk about pressing forward, folks, it, it's based upon knowing him. It's about, based upon a personal relationship with him. So where do you go to meet with him? Where's your chair? And it's not the chair, but where do you go? To have coffee with the Lord. One of the books that changed my life was a little book called My Heart, Christ Home. And it talked about that on every in the morning, Jesus is there in the living room waiting to have coffee with me and to spend time with him. And so where's your chair? Because it's in this chair that four things really should happen. Real quick. One of them in this chair is where he talks to me through his word. It's not just emptying my head out, whatever little thought comes in. I, I, I love his word. I love this letter in Philippians. It changed my life. When I was at Biola College as a freshman in 2000 and 2001, in the spring of 2001, I started rethinking about my life. I remembered a decision I made when I was 12. And when I was here 18, I was wondering, did I make that decision to, help my, to please my mom and dad? Was I baptized to, for them? Or was it because I really felt that that's what God wanted me to do? 
And as I looked at the Bible, I knew that there were a lot of promises, but I didn't, I didn't know any of them. I was truly ignorant. I wasn't a Bible student. I wasn't headed to the ministry. I had no desire for that. But I thought, you know what? I, 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 ought to, I, I need to make a decision on my own whether Christ is mine or not. And I stu- began studying on my own the book of Philippians. It wasn't because of any class I had or anything. It just was an easy one to read. And I started reading it like he wrote it to me. And it changed my life. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those moments. So where's your chair? And it starts with the word. And it's also in this chair is where you're gonna have a conversation with him. That's the part, purpose of prayer. And he says in Matthew chapter six that when I meet with the Lord in secret, only for him, he notices it. And there's a special reward. And so I wanna be in this chair. I wanna, I wanna spend time with him. I wanna meet with him in the living room. I hope you would too. The third thing, is he's gonna to bring to my mind these examples I've talked about, stories I've talked about that help me to, to, to press on to the mark. And lastly, Folks, it's in this chair and it's at your table that you're going to really wrestle with some different trials and tribulations. And that's, that's one of the shaping things that God has in each of our lives that it, to conform us into his image. That's his goal is that you and I would look like him. And it's not going to happen if we don't spend time with him. And so there needs to be this place where we meet with him. And whether it is a literal chair or at the kitchen table, but someplace where you and the Lord can have your private conversation where he's speaking to you and you're having this conversation with him knowing that he's near. Folks, the Lord wants each of us today as we face, as we end 2018, looking back on the past with gratefulness and thankfulness, turning it into praise, but looking forward, pressing on to what he has in store for us. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. Your loving kindness never ends. And so, Lord, I am so grateful that when I look back at some of the broken things in my life, that you're the master craftsman, that you can make sense of the things that seem senseless to me. And that, Lord, that story is for each one of us. You're building a story where you alone are exalted. And so, Lord, I pray that for any that are here today, Lord, that are being challenged Man, their, their faith is really being tested. That today would be a day they would find refreshment and encouragement. Uh, I pray, Lord, for those that feel far away, that today would be a day that they would be drawn near to you. For those who have lost hope, that, Lord, they would find renewness and freshness in you today. And so, Lord, as we end this year and begin the next, would you help us, Lord, to press on for what you would have in store for us with great expectation and eagerness as you unfold your plan in our lives. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Before you leave, if you are here today carrying burdens, our prayer room is going to be open right over here. Boy, let it, give us an opportunity to pray with you. Be an encouragement in your life. I'm going to be right here in the front. If you're visiting Big Valley for the first time, I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to become acquainted with you. If I haven't shaken your hand yet, come, come up here and meet me. Lord bless you. You guys have a wonderful day today and a great new year. Lord bless you.